0: Alright, welcome back to another episode of Somewhere in the Middle, the podcast where we try to make sense of medical things, health and wellness things, and see if we can find some common ground to agree on so that we can make better choices about our health and wellness. Today I'm going to talk about acupuncture and dry needling, uh, which is a question that I get pretty frequently when I'm doing a dry needling treatment on a person they will ask what's the difference between the two. Uh, so I'd like to go over that a little bit and see if I can make some sense for everyone. Before I do that, though, I also want to have a quick uh, anatomy lesson on muscles, Uh, and the reason why I do trigger point dry needling is to address those issues that we would find with the muscles, and so it, it makes sense to start there, and then we'll kind of circle back and get into some of the differences that we might see between someone doing acupuncture and someone doing dry needling, and also some of the similarities that you'll find in the two. So, to start off with, some muscle anatomy. So, I give this example quite frequently when I'm trying to explain why we're treating something in the muscle or some of the things that we might find in the muscle. Uh, And one of the examples that I'll give, um, and you can probably or have probably experienced this on your own. So, you know, you rub uh, your hand across a muscle or, you know, somebody's digging into a muscle maybe uh, rubbing it or massaging it or uh, as you're stretching or whatever you're doing, you notice, man, there's a really, really tight knot, a tight point somewhere in that muscle. Um, or you go to your massage therapist and they're like, man, your, your shoulders are just rock hard. And they, they kind of dig their thumb into this knot, uh, that's in your shoulder or in your trap. And you kind of wince and you're like, man, why is that so tender? And maybe you can feel some, uh, pretty extreme pain or some, at least some higher than normal than you would expect pain, uh, at that spot. And then maybe even you feel it up into your neck or down your arm or down your leg or something like that, like they hit a nerve. Instead, though, they've hit uh, what's called a trigger point. So a trigger point is, uh, without getting too much into the details of the definition, basically a spot on your muscle that is uh, exquisitely tender compared to the surrounding muscle tissue and is almost always accompanied by a tightness or a tightening Uh, in some of those muscle uh, fibers and when you run your thumb across it or kind of push into it uh, oftentimes it will give a referred pain in other words you feel pain or discomfort or a symptom somewhere distant than where uh, the person or where you are pressing into that particular muscle Um, and the explanation that I give to, to folks that I'm working on about what that is and how it gets there uh, is let's pretend that the muscle is kind of like a car engine. Um, in your car, when you get to a stop sign, uh, or a stoplight and you put your foot on the brake and you hold the brake down, the engine doesn't shut off. Um, it doesn't turn off. It's not that every time you uh, begin going after you've stopped at a stop sign or stoplight that you have to turn the engine on, rev it up, and then start going. Um, similarly, muscles don't Turn off when you're not using them. uh, What happens is that they just kind of become a little less active or a lot less active, uh, but they're still prepared to go. Basically, they're idling at a certain amount. They're ready to work, but they're not. uh, It's not like you've got your foot on the gas and you're just waiting for that light to go and then you're going to slam it into gear uh, and burn some rubber and peel out. If that was. How your car worked every time that you um, started going somewhere you'd run through tires you'd wear and tear the engine I mean it'd be a lot harder on the car and similarly your muscles um, don't want to be working at hundred percent all of the time um, but we still need them available to do stuff and so they're not turned off all the way either they're like I said they're kind of idling um, and so a trigger point is when a specific area or a specific set of fibers in that muscle decide that they want to go ahead and keep their foot on the gas. Um, and that can happen for a number of different reasons. It can happen if there's trauma, if uh, if there's been an injury to the muscle, if for whatever reason there's been bad communication from your brain or from your spinal cord down into that muscle and the control mechanisms that make that muscle do what it's supposed to do. If they're failing or if they're just not working optimally, then that can make the Uh, muscle tissue start to develop that extra tension uh, in those certain fibers. Uh, And it's usually just a few fibers, not the whole of the bulk of the muscle. Uh, And because it's just a few of those fibers, uh, it tends to be that those fibers get worn a lot faster. They develop some scar tissue and some inflammation to a higher degree than the rest of the muscle. And that almost creates a, a cycle where that muscle is tight and irritated and painful, and that tight Painful irritation develops some inflammation, and then that inflammation makes it a little more tight and a little more irritated and a little more painful. And so you develop this knot of tight, tender muscle that we call a trigger point. Uh, some of the other components that we look at when we're talking about um, muscles and muscle fibers and the health of muscles is the fascia that surrounds a muscle. That Actually, fascia surrounds all of our tissues, but for this example, we'll just talk about uh, the fascia surrounding a muscle. Um, so imagine almost like, uh, a, a fishnet stocking, uh, you know, up a person's leg. Um, I saw a really cool Instagram picture of this. I wish I could find it. I wish I could link it. Uh, but it, it had, you know, this loose mesh, uh, cloth sitting on a table and they said, this is kind of like your fascia. Uh, and then they took some of that loose mesh and they bound it up. Uh, and they were basically using that example to describe, fascia that's restricted or fascia that's tight. Um, And so I think that that's a great example when we're looking at fascia, the way that it supports our muscles, the way that it kind of interweaves throughout our whole body and supports organs and separates this particular muscle fiber from that particular muscle fiber or this group from that group or this tissue from that tissue. uh, It's a big mesh of this fascia that surrounds and encapsulates and separates all the different tissues and organs and things that we have in our body. Uh, and just like in that fishnet example, if there's injury or if there's inflammation or if there's just some sort of overworking of the tissue that causes um, causes the body to create some adhesions, then that, that fishnet uh, effect kind of gets pinched together a little bit. And you can imagine right there at, at the The point where things are kind of stuck together it's a little bit tight it's a little bit thicker it's a little bit more um, bulky of a tissue and then further along um, or further away along the the length of where that fascia is connected you can imagine that there would be some extra tension at the ends of that fascia along the line kind of uh, in relationship to where the the binding down of the fascia is so i hope i did that justice but those are the two main uh, kind of muscle components that we would look at when we're thinking about, you know, should I do dry needling? Should I do acupuncture? Should I do some kind of a treatment? Um, to get a little bit more detailed about the nerve interaction with a trigger point, so we kind of go back to that car engine. Uh, so for that example, your foot is the thing that's controlling the gas pedal. You're pushing it down harder or you're taking your foot off of the gas pedal, and that's what uh, controls how strong or how uh, weak the idle is, given uh, that the car itself will idle at a certain point. Uh, for the muscles, uh, that control mechanism is a nerve. Um, and so your brain has a, a neuron that's, that says, hey, I want uh, this particular muscle fiber to contract. And it's in my arm or it's in my leg or where it's at, wherever it's at. Uh, and that nerve fiber goes through some control mechanisms in the brain and then it finally gets out of the brain and goes into the spinal cord and it gets to whatever level in the spinal cord that corresponds with uh, where the nerve is that's going to go out of your spinal cord and so there's one connection from your brain into your spinal cord and then that nerve after it gets a signal from your brain sends a signal out to the destination muscle now for some muscles for example your gluteus maximus uh, which is your butt muscle your thigh uh, muscle the quadriceps some of those muscles are basically there to be on and work hard, and they don't need a lot of control. And so for those particular muscles, you'll have um, not a lot of individual nerve fibers that are in charge of controlling that whole muscle. Uh, If you've ever done a wall sit, you'll see this phenomenon. Uh, Maybe try it now if you're not in your car. Uh, Go up to the wall, lean against the wall, kind of get into that squatted position where you're legs are 90 90 bent at the knee and 9090 90 bent at the hip and your quad muscles are basically holding up your whole body. And if you look down at your quad muscles, you'll see that they're kind of quivering. Uh, the, the, the contraction is holding. you're maintaining your body weight um, assuming that that uh, you can do this in the first place. Uh, but you can kind of see the muscle waving under your skin. You can see the term for it is called fasciculation. That muscle is, uh, working in certain parts and then it shifts to a different part and then it shifts back to where it was and, and you can just kind of see different parts of the muscle working and and quivering and twitching as it were. Um, and that's because when you do work for these bigger muscles that are designed just to produce power, you only have a few control nerves to tell the different parts of the muscle to turn on. So, uh, in your quad for example, let's, let's just pretend that there are twenty separate Uh, nerve fibers that uh, branch out uh, and each of those 20 nerve fibers controls five percent of your quad muscle Uh, and so if you need to do the heaviest squat that you can possibly do you'll have 18 or 19 of those um, nerves sending signal and then you can do a really heavy lift or if you're walking upstairs maybe you don't need hundred percent of your muscle maybe you only need uh, 20 or 30% of your muscle strength. And so then you, you would only need, you know, a handful of those nerve, uh, signals to, to get into your quad. That way it's not a max effort, 100% effort lift every time you go up a stair. Uh, but then it's also, you can turn on as much of the muscle as you can muster and still get that heavy squat. That's how your body develops control. So in your thigh. The amount of control that you need is very minimal as far as you know the range of uh, onness or offness that you need for your quad to do most things. Compare that to uh, your finger muscles. Uh, you've got a huge range of strength that you can produce with your hand. You can grasp uh, an egg and not crush it. At the same time, you can hold that egg in your hand and smash it to smithereens. Uh, You can hold on very tightly to a pull-up bar or some other kind of a uh, implement and do heavy weights, Uh, or you can hold hands with person uh, that you're walking with and again, not crush their hand as you're holding it. So there's a very large variety, a large spectrum of how hard and how soft uh, that muscle can be, uh, which means that you need a lot more individual nerve fibers for your brain to be able to tell your muscle just exactly how on it needs to be. So where this matters when we're talking about trigger points uh, is that one of those nerves or maybe a handful of those nerves just depending on the muscle uh, are giving bad information to the muscle Uh, and they're telling the muscle that it needs to be on more than it does uh, and that that is causing extra tension and extra tightness in that muscle. And then again, like we said earlier, that extra tension and tightness causes its own problem. And now you're kind of locked into this one particular uh, fiber or set of fibers that are almost always on on the muscle uh, and, and get irritated and painful and inflamed. And then that cycle continues. And so needling, uh, whether it's acupuncture or dry needling, is a really good way to address that nerve muscle connection, and then also by extension, uh, address the fascia that is surrounding that muscle tissue and supporting that muscle tissue. And so that brings us to some of the treatments that we would want to do for uh, the muscle tissue. So uh, this is a good uh, good time to talk about some of the differences between dry needling and acupuncture. Uh, And again, I'm a physical therapist. Uh, I'm not an acupuncturist. I'm not licensed to perform acupuncture. Uh, under my physical therapy license I am uh, allowed to perform dry needling uh, given a certain set of uh, prerequisites are met which I've met uh, and maintain and so my perspective is from the physical therapy standpoint however um, I have done everything that I can to try to understand what the differences and similarities are between acupuncture and dry needling so I'm going to This will hopefully be honest and peaceful and acupuncturists out there, please don't come knocking on my door and beat me up if I get something wrong. I'm I'm trying to do my best here. So we'll start with what does it mean to dry needle? Uh, And the point of that statement is that the needle that an acupuncturist uses or a a different practitioner doing a dry needling treatment, uh, that needle is solid. Uh, The importance of that is that there are other needles that are not solid. Imagine that you're donating blood or that somebody is injecting um, a medication into you. Uh, That that needle needs to be able to transmit a fluid in or out of your body. And so it has to be hollow. Um, So like a hypodermic needle um, is very different from a dry needle because the dry needle is solid. It can't transmit any fluid through itself. It's solid. Uh, And because it's solid, it ends up being extremely thin A hypodermic needle, I don't know the gauges specifically, but if you um, took an acupuncture needle, um, you could fit at least three or four, probably somewhere close to six or eight, inside of the hole of a hypodermic needle. That's how thin and small these acupuncture needles are. Or, conversely, that's how uh, open and large some of these um, not dry needles are. So that's one main difference, or that's one of the main characteristics, I should say, of dry needling is, is that the needle is solid. Uh, and by extension, because it's solid, it can be very, very thin. It's also extremely sharp, obviously, uh, to pierce through the skin and get down into the tissues it wants to treat. Uh, it's better if it just kind of spreads that skin open and moves the tissues out of the way rather than, um, cutting or, or, um, breaking the tissue, uh, that, uh, that you're needling through. Uh, another, Uh, Point of dry needling um, for both acupuncture and um, a traditional dry needle uh, that you might get from a physical therapist. Uh, They're both designed to treat muscle dysfunction, neuromuscular dysfunction, neuromyofascial uh, dysfunction. Basically, those three items I was talking about before a muscle and a nerve and and the fascia that supports both of those, um, uh, or all three of those, sorry. Uh, Dry needling is a good way to do that acupuncture is a good way to do that one of the things that acupuncture also involves uh, in the thought process and in the treatment process uh, is that it is looking at um let's call it organ dysfunction now i'm probably going to butcher this but uh, the traditional chinese medicine approach to looking at things has certain organ systems in mind um the, the bit of research that I've done looking into this, uh, when it talks about these organ systems, it's not specifically like, uh, like for example, there's a, a point that you would needle as an acupuncturist uh, that uh, it's called the triple burner. Uh, and this organ system um, isn't, isn't discrete organs the way that Western medicine thinks about a kidney or a liver or a stomach or a gallbladder rather uh, in acupuncture um, uh, these organ systems are basically, um, uh, ways that the body deals with what it deals with, uh, how it makes energy or stores energy or releases energy, how it, um, brings food in and then removes waste products and, and takes them out, um, how it opens and closes. There's a very strong yin yang thought process, um, with traditional Chinese medicine, the up, the down, in and out, left and right, forward, backwards, uh, expansion and contraction, those, those kinds of thought processes, the opposites, basically, of, of the different concepts that you can think of. Um, traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture is looking at those systems as part of the process for treatment. Um, I can tell you that I don't know where any of those particular acupuncture points are. Um, Or, you know, if I'm working on someone's back and I happen to place a needle in one of those particular points, I couldn't tell you what it is and I couldn't tell you what it does as far as an acupuncture model is concerned. Um, For a physical therapist doing dry needling uh, or most other practitioners who can dry needle but are not acupuncturists, uh, almost the exclusive point of the treatment is to find a muscle or find where the nerve and the muscle are interacting and perform a treatment directed there without necessarily paying attention to the uh, traditional Chinese medicine philosophy. Uh, And so, you know, if you said, you know, Curtis, can you needle an acupuncture point? I could say that I could find it and I could needle it, but I don't know what I'm doing or why I'm doing it there as far as acupuncture is concerned. On the other hand, if you said, Curtis, can you find a particular muscle or a trigger point in a muscle, and could you direct a treatment towards the nerves and the muscle tissue that are involved with that, Uh, and I can very easily find those and treat those. So a little bit of difference as far as uh, the point of the treatment, not to say that an acupuncturist couldn't treat uh, a nerve or a muscle or a trigger point. Um, In fact, I would say most acupuncturists are very familiar with that, and it's at least a thought process in their treatment. Uh, But it doesn't necessarily go the other way around. Most dry needlers don't know about acupuncture uh, and don't specifically know what those points are and and what they're trying to treat. So again, to kind of sum things up, uh, when a person uh, is getting an acupuncture treatment, there's definitely a larger process uh, that that particular practitioner will be thinking about. There are nutrition components and lifestyle components that a good acupuncturist, or I should say, a good traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, will involve in the process um, talking about you know thought process and and uh, foods that you eat or shouldn't eat, uh, times to eat them and not to eat them, more than just uh, the practice of placing needles in a person, uh, but that that needle placement is very important because they are also trying to facilitate a movement or a flow or a, a, a an effect uh, from those acupuncture points uh, and then via those acupuncture points into the different organ systems that they uh, find are important. Uh, and then contrast that with a physical therapist or a chiropractor or an athletic trainer, uh, somebody who uh, is licensed to perform dry needling. There is uh, a stronger focus on a muscle or a specific anatomical part like a nerve or a neuromuscular. Connection uh, or a bit of fascia, and the point is to address that directly without necessarily getting into some of those other points that traditional Chinese medicine will talk about. So I hope that that cleared some things up. Hopefully I didn't ramble on too long for no good reason. Um, As always, thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or would like further explanation or have a suggestion of something to talk about, do feel free to reach out to me. Uh, You can always email me at livewellandmove at gmail.com, and my website has a spot on it that you can click on under the podcasts tab to offer a suggestion or a comment. Uh, And I would love to hear from any of you who are listening. Um, Thank you so much again for tuning in. Hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Thanks.